0: No one likes to feel stuck, especially by your cloud. But the IBM cloud is the most open and secure public cloud for business. It can manage all your apps and data anywhere. Smart loves problems. IBM, let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash flexible.
1: Welcome to The Sporting Life with Jeremy Schaap. Over the next hour, former Heisman Trophy finalist Ryan Leaf explains why we got the best college football championship game possible.
2: They're the best two teams in the country, period. And if you want just the great lore of college football, tune in Monday night. Best offense in I don't know how long. And then you have a defense led by Brent Venables and Isaiah Simmons. I just can't wait for it because it's going to be such a fun game to watch. Plus,
1: Michael Holly gives his thoughts on what the future holds for the New England Patriots.
0: This is the first time that the transition may include Tom Brady. I say may include Tom Brady because I know some people think that it's over for him here. I don't think so.
1: Also, Ryan Sullivan describes the steps that companies are taking to make football safer.
3: One of the things that we are very intentional about is putting the athlete first and putting them at the center of everything that we do. That transcends you know, product design, engineering, and our approach to the sport itself. This is The Sporting
1: Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap.
4: Welcome to another edition of The Sporting Life. Later in the show, we'll be speaking with Michael Holly, the longtime Boston sports commentator, about what's going on with the Patriots. Nobody knows the situation outside the circle than Michael Holly. But first, you might have heard there's a national championship game taking place Monday night in New Orleans. number one LSU against number three Clemson to break it all down, we welcome the one and only our old friend Ryan Leaf. Ryan, thank you
2: for being with us. you bet good to be with you, Jeremy again.
4: All right tell me what do I need to know about this game you, I, i'm a fr- I think you're aware of the fact that I'm not exactly a college football aficionado. If you were giving kind of a beginner 's primer. Uh, for someone who who you know is not tied to the set every Saturday in the fall, what are these two teams all about?
2: Uh, they're the best two teams in the country. Period. So again, the College Football Playoff uh, committee got it right. They put four teams in. The best two teams are playing for the national championship once again. And if you want just the great lore of college football, uh, tune in Monday night. It it it's going to be absolutely amazing. Best offense. In I don't know how long, uh, the most prolific passer in Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner. And then you have a defense led by Brent Venables and Isaiah Simmons. I mean, it's just, I just can't wait for it because it's going to be such a fun game to watch.
4: Tell me about Ed Orgeron. He's a figure in the sports world who fascinates me.
2: I love this story too because there's a lot of adversity he's overcome. Uh, he was dismissed from the Miami program back in the day under Dennis Erickson and had to deal with that. He went on and became a coach at USC and and was given the interim. He was
4: the head coach at Ole Miss.
2: And they lost, right? And then he went on to USC and became a winning coach there and had a chance, and the word out of the administration was, they didn't like the way he talked. That's why he may have not got the job. And it was very debilitating for him. It's unfathomable, right? I mean, because of his accent? Yes, and the way, I mean, that's, that's Southern California for. I live there, okay? It's, 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 it is. It's just a Southern California feel to that, hearing that come back. And then he goes and, and takes on a job under Les Miles who loses his job and he gets the interim tag again. But this time he gets the head coaching job and he has made the absolute most of it. He is the perfect fit. I don't know. I know how upset he is. He didn't get that USC job. I don't think if he had, he would have had the success yet. He was the perfect guy. For this job when it came available and what he's been able to produce this year is so special. I'm glad his story has had a platform like it's had this season.
4: We're speaking to Ryan Leaf, our college football expert with the national championship game taking place. I mean, you know, LSU, basically a home game against Clemson, which has won two of the last four titles. And it's a role reversal, right? Because, I mean, essentially Alabama has been the big dog for Last decade, and in uh, those national title games against uh, the national title game, uh, when it's Clemson versus Alabama, Alabama occupies that position, and now Clemson is the Titan, the recent Titan, um, up against LSU. Does that make LSU everybody's favorite in this game, pretty much, if you're not from South Carolina?
2: Yeah, probably. I mean, Dabo has kind of turned what Clemson is into maybe a little bit of the Death Star and him Darth Vader in this process, which I think he just eats up and loves. Uh, I, I got an opportunity to spend three days with Dabo and his staff and that team before the season started. And I don't know if I've drank the Kool-Aid or what, but I've been all in on Clemson all year long. And I, I just don't see how a team that hasn't lost in 29 straight games with a starting quarterback that's never lost. Um, I don't know how they beat them. But it's going to be a great game. I just think if you give the ball to Trevor Lawrence with two minutes to go in that game, they're going to get it done, and it's going to kick off, which they've already started. You It would be three national titles in the last four years. I think that started off the next decade of dominance. It's going to be Clemson, and you're going to see Dabo and that crew holding up championship trophies five or six times in that decade.
4: If Dabo wins Monday night and his Clemson Tigers win, obviously he's not making any plays, um... Do, does he does he replace Nick Saban as the biggest coach in the game, or is he already replaced Nick Saban as the biggest coach in the game?
2: I don't think he's replaced him yet. I mean, what Nick Saban did over that decade run, he needs a couple more titles, I, I, I believe, but he's well on his way. and And I like the process. He does something different, right? He doesn't allow transfers. Which, when I first heard that, I didn't quite understand it. Right? He doesn't. He doesn't go out and seek JC transfers. He doesn't take grad transfers. He goes out and recruits a Clemson guy, and and they get the choice. Right? Do you want to come and be a part of this? This is what it is. It's going to be competitive every single day. You may not play right away. This is just the way it is. And he's had an unbelievable response. He still gets the best players in the country, and, and he gets the best people, and he loves the way. And that boundary's been set, and and it may be uh, the way of winning in college football for a long time to come.
4: You know, college football so much about the game is the emotion the atmosphere even to a greater extent i would argue than in the pro game the fact that this is taking place at the superdome how many how many points does that equate to as an <laughs> advantage for
2: lsu well it it you know if if clemson hits him in the mouth and the crowd goes quiet it almost can work in reverse for you you almost can build equity for clemson with that happening and also with the game in your backyard you know, you have to deal with all your boys showing up going, hey man, I need tickets and all these things. And you also been there. The national championship has a bit of a sterile feeling because of the, the sponsors and all the things like that. It becomes more of a corporate event. So it's going to be definitely 75%, 25% probably in, in, in favor of LSU. It just depends on what the game looks like early on. If if LSU jumps out to a a, a big lead and and turns into that monster and and in, in which they they just shake loose of Clemson, then the crowd becomes just a huge part of it. But if it's the other side and Clemson does something early, that crowd could become a liability because they don't know. It's quiet. Maybe you hear boos even from the LSU crowd. It it's it it could be interesting. It's tough having to play in your own backyard for such a big game.
4: Ryan, I see that you recently tweeted um, about the NFL All Time One Hundred, <laughs> and and you you take you took time out to post a tweet uh, expressing your disappointment that you were not among those named. <laughs> you know, a lot of people see that tweet from you and they say this is great. You know, Ryan Leaf is in a position now where he can laugh about this. Where, where, where he, you know, it's been what has it been now twenty twenty years? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and people love that. They love that about you. They love that you know um you're at a point in your life now. You're in a place in your life now emotionally where you can send a tweet like that. What do you think it says?
2: I mean, it just it's it's the truth, right? For the longest time, I took things so personally and so seriously, like. Like, it's, it's football. It's the coolest thing in the world. It gave me so much. But I know what's important now, right? I, I, I almost lost that and its life. It's just, it's all of that. A family and all these things. So the football side of things, these are great honors that are happening this year. The top 100, the top 150 in college football. These are great for individuals who, who, who get that honor. But, you know, they are I wouldn't say they're meaningless. But for people that don't necessarily need those, that validation in their life, It's okay. And I thought I'd just poke a little fun at it. Um, because of course I don't belong in it. And it's a joke. And what's, what was even more hilarious about the process that, that like three million people responded and probably one and a half million of them thought I was serious. Stop. Come on. It was crazy. I had to like remind them, Hey, dude, this, that's why it's funny. That's why it's a joke, man. Uh, you know, figure this out. And so that's what made it a little more fun. I got to interact with some people, but. That's what life's about. I don't take myself very seriously. I take what I talk about in terms of recovery and mental health very seriously. But I don't take myself very seriously. And I think that's a big shift. And the self-deprecating part of it makes me able to work in this business freely and not have to worry about uh, how that makes me feel.
4: It's a great tweet, Ryan. And it's a great pleasure, as always, having you on the show, previewing the college championship football game taking place monday night uh thanks so much for everything and happy new year
2: yes sir thank you very much
1: this is the sporting life on espn radio and the espn app
4: and now that we're a couple of months removed from the world series and spring training is still a couple of months away we really are in the middle of the baseball dead season this is the hot stove time of the year so it's a perfect occasion to talk about a new book by Tom Stone. It's titled Now Taking the Field, Baseball's All-Time Dream Teams for All 30 Franchises. And let me tell you, this book is something else. It's 600 pages. This is not one of those books that was written uh, in a couple of weeks by just some fan. This is a very thorough, methodical uh look at every team in baseball history every franchise explaining its methodology for <laughs> determining the best player in each position for each of those franchises and it is a pleasure to welcome to the sporting life the man who undertook this Tom Stone. Tom this is uh, as I said quite an undertaking and it's very thorough you must be obsessive.
5: <laughs> yeah yeah and it's, it's kind of got a long history to it I Grew up in the early. I was born in the early 70s, and by the early 80s, I was into. You know, I was one of those kids that played baseball, but living in Rochester, New York, you can't play year-round weather-wise. And so, I had one of those big paperback, big you know, 2,000-page encyclopedias, and I'd torn through the stats and argue with my friends about who should be in the Hall of Fame and stuff like that. So I've been thinking about this topic of who the best players are for a very long time.
4: Now, obviously, there's something, you know, real baseball fans love to have these debates. You know, if you're a Yankees fan, for instance, who's the greatest center fielder in Yankees history? Is it DiMaggio or is it Mantle? It's obviously not Earl Coombs, even though he's a Hall of Famer. Uh There are a lot of teams, obviously, where, you know, we're debating, Players not of that caliber as the greatest ever at their position for that particular franchise. When you make your final determination, and I've looked through the book, but I'm not going to give it away. Are, are, are you choosing based on, on peak performance, meaning a player who, uh, uh, performed at his very best over a short burst of time? Or is it about longevity? Is it about, you know, choosing somebody, um, I can't think of a great example off the top of my head, but let's say pitchers from the Boston Red Sox, like Smoky Joe Wood, for two or three years, as good a pitcher as there has ever been, versus somebody uh, you know might have pitched for the Red Sox for like ten years, like I guess like a Tim Wakefield, right, who was never that dominant, right, but obviously had more wins and and, and accumulated more stats. How did you choose?
5: Yeah, good question. So I, I tried to strike a balance between those two things and. One of the ways that I did that, actually, was uh, you know, a lot of authors have written on this before. We've had lots of fan surveys going back to the 50s, actually, on, on all-time dream teams like this. I wanted to do things a little differently in a couple of ways. One, I chose a full 30-man roster, so that gave me a fair amount of room instead of just a starting lineup and a few pitchers. That gave me a lot of room to have both guys that have been with each club for a long time as well as those that were maybe shorter tenure but had really strong peak performances. And then also my use of, win- of wins above replacement, one of those newer sabermetric stats, as sort of a baseline statistic to get me going. It wasn't the only thing I looked at, and we can talk more about the methodology here in a minute. But, um, but I did start with war, but I didn't just look at their total war for that club. I also looked at their peak, their top three war seasons. That's what I used to measure peak. And so I, I looked at both total war Peak war. I looked at uh, you know long tenure with the team, but also their best
4: seasons. We're speaking with Tom Stone about his new book, and it really is, I think, something that a lot of baseball fans will get a kick out of. Now taking the field, baseball's all-time dream teams for all thirty franchises, and you know you start where um, I think most people would would think you would start when you're talking about all-time dream teams for franchises. You start with the Yankees. When you think about the Yankees, you've got <clears throat> you know, you've got Ruth, and you've got Gehrig, and you've got Mantle, and DiMaggio, and and Berra, and you know a handful, half a dozen of the greatest players in baseball history. I think we're up to like nine Yankees now who are in the Hall of Fame who never played so much as a game for any other team. Um, what is the most loaded single position for any team in baseball history? We mentioned center field for the Yankees; those two guys are at the top. Is is DiMaggio Mantle the most loaded? The toughest call anywhere
5: yeah i would say dimaggio mantle in terms of who would be the number one there and then you've got earl combs and bernie williams so you've even got some good depth there in center field for the yankees um dodgers number one pitcher i think sandy koufax and clayton kershaw if you look at regular season performances it's it's a very close call if you include the postseason of course koufax comes out way ahead Um, but that'd be a close call in terms of overall depth though going back to the yankees at catcher, they're pretty strong. Yogi Berra, Bill Dickey, Thurman Munson, Jorge Posada, Elston Howard, Gary Sanchez. You now, I mean, lots of great players. I mean, like, probably one reason that the Yankees have been so good over such a long period of time is catcher such an important position, and they've always had some great...
4: We're speaking with Tom Stone about his new book, Now Taking the Field, baseball's all-time dream teams for all 30 franchises. Now, with all due respect... Uh, to some of the teams I'm going to mention now. It's fun, and you can have these very sophisticated arguments uh, and high-stakes arguments when you're talking about the Yankees or the Athletics or the Dodgers or or the Giants, Giants first base. That's a tough one, too. You know, uh, McCovey and Cepeda, Bill Terry. Uh, we could go back. Uh, some more Jack Clark. <clears throat> what about some of these newer franchises where there's not – um you know, there aren't any uh, obvious choices. Is it hard to kind of choose among the guys who are just kind of okay?
5: Yeah, I found two things to be hard. I found it hard to do the the, the big-name franchises like you mentioned, the longstanding ones, particularly the National League ones that go back to the 1800s, and, and those teams that have the most rabid fans like the Cubs and the Yankees and the Red Sox because you, you want to get it right, otherwise you'll hear about it. And I certainly have heard about it on Facebook and nothing <laughs> elsewhere. But, yeah, the expansionary teams, particularly the four most recent ones from the 90s, like the Rays, the Rockies. Marlins and the Diamondbacks, Picking a starting lineup is one thing, but when you gotta to go to pick backups, now you're getting to some guys that really don't seem to fit well with the concept of an all time dream team. You know, backup catcher for the Rays or backup shortstop for some of these teams. Things like that. So yeah, that got to be a little bit of a stretch and a little bit of an eye roll exercise. I mean they were they were fine players, played many years for those clubs, but not exactly the perennial all stars that you'd expect.
4: And you're and you're talking about franchises in in all their iterations. So when you're talking about correct me if I'm wrong And we're talking to Tom Stone about his new book, Now Taking the Field, uh, where he picks dream teams for all 30 Major League franchises. If we're talking about the Atlanta Braves, they are the original Major League franchise, right, or the longest running. They are the Cincinnati Red Stockings, right, who became the Boston Braves and eventually the Milwaukee Braves and then the Atlanta Braves.
5: Yeah, my criteria was it had to be a continuously running franchise in a technical sense. So there were a few teams that uh, I forget which ones, but in the 1800s, there was a lot of movement. And it seemed like maybe it was the same team, but technically it had a new owner, a new roster from one year to the next. But in a lot of those cases, uh, it was a continuously running franchise from the 1870s or 1880s all the way through modern times. And that means that for some fans of, say, the Minnesota Twins, I am including their time as the Washington Senators, which for some Twins fans, they might not care as much as uh, about those players. But the benefit is, when you look at that roster, all the more loaded because you got the big train Walter Johnson as your ace pitcher
4: Tom well thank you for writing this book and spending all the time researching it it really could be an endless source of amusement for anyone who wishes to pick it up it is titled now taking the field baseball's all-time dream teams for all 30 franchises an encyclopedic look at the rosters of all of baseball's teams Tom Stone thank you for joining us
5: thanks so much Jeremy
1: This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
4: As regular listeners of this show are aware, we've talked a lot over the last decade about head trauma in sports. We talk about safety in football and soccer, lacrosse, other sports. Joining us now is a man who's trying to make sports safer. He is the CEO of a helmet company, Zenith, based in Detroit, it's a company owned uh, mostly by Dan Gilbert, who's known to many as the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers and also Quicken Loans. It's a pleasure to welcome Ryan Sullivan, the CEO of Zenith Helmets, to the show. Ryan, thank you for being with us.
3: Jeremy, thanks for having me.
4: Ryan, what is different about a Zenith helmet?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at Zenith, uh, what we're all about is elevating the athlete's pursuit, uh, specifically the football athlete, in playing, training, and in living. Uh, we're best known for our football helmets which feature an adaptive fit system, uh, which provides a custom fit to every athlete every time. In addition to that, uh, our approach to energy management uh, on the football field is completely different than anyone else in the space, uh, which features a decoupled interior uh, shock matrix, which allows independent movement uh, of the shell and that protection system to better mitigate forces that an athlete may experience uh, on the field of play. Uh, in addition to our helmet lineup, which again we're best known for, we also feature a number of other uh, football-centric products, including shoulder pads, training gear, and uh, Zenith Loop, the first uh, purpose-built headgear for non-tackle football which we just introduced a few weeks ago.
4: We're speaking with Ryan Sullivan again. He's the CEO of Zenith, which is trying to make contact sports safer with different technology. How did you get started um, trying to create these kinds of technologies?
3: Yeah, the company has a, a long history. Uh, we were founded in 2006 by a gentleman named Ben Ferrara, who uh, was a former Harvard quarterback, went on to get a medical degree at Columbia, and his inspiration was to create a better helmet. I mean, you think back to 2006, there hadn't been really uh, much, if any, innovation or change in the football helmet space in, in decades. And Vin's uh, vision uh, at that time was to create a better football helmet based on his own experience as well as that of his tier group. We all know that since 2006, there is, you know, much more a heightened sense of awareness about athlete health and wellness um, across all sports. Uh, but particularly in, in football, um, where there is a, a huge emphasis and understanding on how do we make the game safer and better for athletes on the field to play through not only better equipment but also you know better training, better coaching, healthcare, rule changes, etc. Um, really a holistic approach to making the game safer for all the athletes involved. So at Zenith, you know we're really proud to now be on our fifth generation of uh, of helmet that we've launched in the space uh, with our Shadow Helmet. And the company has uh, adapted and evolved uh, quite a bit since its original and humble beginnings, um, being founded by Vin back in 2006.
4: As CTE, um, chronic traumatic encephalopathy, has become a bigger issue in sports over the course of the last 15 years, something that you know we've seen movies about. It's a, a constant source of tension um, uh, between medical training staffs and coaches, and some fear uh, in some leagues. It, How have you adapted your approach to creating safe helmets based on what we know about CTE, which is still in its, uh, in really its beginning stages, our our knowledge of the condition?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, You know, as we were mentioning a moment ago, the, one of the things that we are very intentional about is putting the athlete first and putting them at the center of everything that we do. So that transcends, you know, product design, engineering, um, and our approach to the sport itself, uh, we have an independent scientific advisory board. These are um, thought leaders in their respective spaces uh, internationally, who, in addition to our own internal team, which is truly world-class, we have multiple PhDs on staff, um, and, you know, that approach of having an internal team of experts, as well as making sure that we are always staying ab- abreast of the state of the science. Uh, and, and designing products, um, you know, based on that ever-evolving and advancing, um, you know, state of state of the science and making sure that we are current and ahead of the curve is, is one of the things that we take a lot of pride in. Uh, so, you know, when you think about whether it's concussion or CTE, uh, there's a lot to learn there. And as a company, you know, we're making sure that we're doing our best to design products that are the best that we can put out on the field at all all points in time. Um, You know, Zenith Loop is a great example of that, as I mentioned a moment ago, for non-tackle football, which is growing tremendously, uh, whether it's flag or seven on seven, uh, particularly at the high school level. Um, And, you know, the sport of football is adapting and evolving, uh, whether it's tackle rule changes or or players playing non-tackle at a younger age or for longer parts of their careers or in some cases all year round. Uh, the sport of football is changing and as a company that is, is intentionally built for football, we want to be with those athletes at every step of their career and design great products for them, leading with science and design, um, and doing our best that, that we can, uh, to put those products up in the field. I'm a father of four. Um, you know, this is, is something that I take a lot of pride in, um, as, as well as everyone else on our team. Um, you know, this is this is real for us, and, and we put products out there that we would be proud to have our own children in, on the field of play.
4: Ryan, I think it was a couple of years ago you guys um, had to recall a number of products, helmets that were cracking. What, what did that experience teach you about this process uh, of building a better helmet?
3: This may uh, sound strange, but we're very proud of how we handled that situation. Um, this is a, a, an issue that we had in our production process where there was a uh, chemical reaction between the paint that we were applying to, to the shell that was leading to the shells cracking at a, at a rate that was not acceptable. So this is something where it was involuntary recall that, that we took upon ourselves to replace every helmet that had been affected by this issue. There were no injuries associated with it. Um, and what it taught us was, you know, to really continue to strengthen and enhance the, the quality of our production processes. i um, proud to say that, you know, sitting here today, um, we're the only company in the industry that takes a, a photo of every helmet that leaves our assembly lines from multiple angles. Um, you know, we worked with a company that did install a similar system for BMW car uh, factory, right? And on the reconditioning side of our business, we're taking pictures. That same camera system is used on the inbound as well as the outbound um, side of things. So um, we've grown a lot, we've evolved a lot, we've learned a lot from from that experience. And uh, and we're really proud of, about how we approach that with our customers in the marketplace.
4: Ryan Sullivan is the CEO of Zenith, which makes helmets that are trying to make sports safer in an age of awareness of CTE and the effects of head trauma. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us here in The Sporting Life.
3: Thank you, Jeremy. Have a great day.
1: This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app.
4: For many, it was a shocking development seeing the New England Patriots go out in the first weekend of the NFL playoffs. Of course, for the last 20 years, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady together have fashioned an unsurpassed dynasty. And our next guest is someone who has chronicled it all the way from the beginning up until now. He is Michael Holly, the longtime Boston sports reporter, writer, savant, and the author of... Belichick, and Brady, two men, the Patriots, and how they revolutionized football. Michael, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to The Sporting Life.
0: And it's a pleasure to be called a savant. It doesn't have to be true, but I enjoy it. I enjoy it very much. (laughs) So thank you. So Michael, describe for me, if
4: you will, we're talking now a few days after uh, the Titans' victory at Foxborough, eliminating the Patriots. Um, throwing into uncertainty, to say the least, the future of the franchise as it pertains at least to arguably the greatest player in the history of the game. Where do things now stand?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, Jeremy. It's uh, it's another transitional point for the Patriots. They had one uh, after the 2009 season. You know, Bill Belichick had done a documentary for NFL films, and uh, in the middle of that 2009 season, he still on the sideline. And he he said to Tom Brady, who was coming back from knee surgery, he said, I just can't get this team to play the way I need them to play. And so that next year, they drafted Gronk. uh, They traded Randy Moss, and it was a completely different era of Patriots football. So from 2010 to 2019, now we're at 2019, and another big transition is coming. But this is the first time (laughs) that the transition may include Tom Brady. I say may include Tom Brady because Jeremy. I know some people think that it's over for him here. I don't think so. I, I think, I think uh, eventually they will figure it out, and he will be back with the Patriots. Wow. Well,
4: th- well that's certainly, um, yes, uh, not the opinion of everyone out there, but you are more informed. You know the situation as well as anyone. You really think he's going to be back. I-, I guess the question is, how much does Bill Belichick want him back?
0: well yeah okay that that's a, that that is the question that's one of the big questions and I would say um a fair amount because i i I know there's a thought that and and it makes a lot of sense the thought that hey Tom wants to see what he can do without Bill and Bill wants to see what he can do without tom and if if you win a championship without the other, then that proves the all time greatness but Bill Belichick is. He's practical, and that's one of his strengths and weaknesses. He's very practical and so sometimes when people want him to be emotional and they want him to hey look at this uh look at look at this and look at the emotions of this he, he just can't do that so when you look at the quarterback options that are out there for him and the quarterback that he has now, you just go on an old school scale, and Tom Brady is better than you, the alternatives. And not only better for uh, better than the alternative in 2020, probably better than the alternative in 20 and 21. So, I think uh, I think he will eventually realize that he wants to go back to Tom Brady. And the reason I keep saying he will, he he being Belichick, is because I think Tom Brady has made it clear he wants to return to New England. He has been on Jeremy. He's been on like a three-year public relations campaign <laughs> of making it. Obvious that he wants to stay. Every time he's asked, he says, I want to play until I'm 45. I'm blessed to play for Robert Kraft and Coach Belichick. He never calls him Bill. Always calls him Coach. Coach Belichick, great organization. Um, I'm so fortunate to be here. So he's alerting people. You don't have to read between the lines. It's obvious. It's there screaming. I want to be here, and if I'm not here, it's not my call, it's theirs.
4: We're speaking with Michael Holly. He's the author of, among other books, Belichick and Brady, Two Men, the Patriots, and How They Revolutionized Football. Um, What is the relationship like at this point in time, 20 years together, these two enormous, um, you know, Pivotal figures in the history of the game. What, what is what is their one-on-one interactions like, and their larger relationship like?
0: Business-like, uh, business-like, business-like. It is not. Uh, it is not two buddies. It is not the kind of rapport that i think about other long-term, you know, sports relationships. It's not the kind of back and forth playful sarcastic relationship that greg popovich had with tim duncan for 19 years this is okay tom i'm going to help you with this Uh, what do you see here this is what i see and even when they're talking one-on-one it is very it is coach player and and and, and jeremy i'm so I'm, i'm so glad you asked me that question because i think for this transition to work 2020 and beyond if it may be 2020 to 21 or if Tom Brady plays if he indeed plays until he's 45 the next three years I think this relationship has to change a bit like Brady has been almost in my opinion too respectful and so now at the end of his career he's saying well where's my contract why can't I get a contract extension or he's looking around at his weapons and he's silently seething over the weapons that he has. But I, I I'm suggesting that like, don't be. You're, you're 42 years old. You're you're a grown man now. You're not the uh, happy to be here. All shucks, 24, 25, 26 year old quarterback. You're a married man. You've got a family. You've been successful. It's time to be a little more aggressive in the relationships. In the relationship, respectful, but. Have more of a voice. You know what you want. You've done this for a long time. I think you need to clearly articulate what you need to Bill Belichick. Now, he may not listen, but I think that's an element of their dynamic that has been missing for so long. And so now when he talks, I, people are are reading uh, and, and they're trying to interpret what he's saying. When it shouldn't come to that. He should just be a, a lot more vocal and a lot more direct. So I think that has to change um, from from his perspective, and I think Bill Belichick has to be honest enough to say that he has he has not done a good job in the last couple of years of building around Brady and and that maybe that sounds like coddling a player, but it's not. You look at the the, the, the top quarterbacks now, Patrick Mahomes is transcendent. But Andy Reid has done a good job building around him. He throws a great deep ball, and so what do they have? They have the fastest team in the league. And you have, you know, Tyreek Hill and Miko Harbin. You got a fast tight end and Travis Kelsey. They just got speed all over the field that that play to his strengths. And the same thing in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. They got these these uh, t- great tight ends and they have strong running game, a great offensive line that kind of plays to what Lamar Jackson wants to do and what he's good at. And Bill Belichick. If you say Tom Brady is good uh between the hashes and not necessarily the deep ball, well, what have you done between the hashes you, you you eliminated the tight end spot essentially this year, and you left him with Julian Edelman and not much else that he could rely on so I think Donald has to do a better job uh next year of building that team for Brady
4: We're speaking again with Michael Holly, the Boston sports commentator and Michael um. When are we going to know more? I mean, Bill Belichick isn't the kind of guy who likes drama. Tom Brady's not the kind of guy who likes drama or this kind of suspense. How long can this linger uh, based on the way the NFL uh, contract schedules are are, are arranged?
0: Well, I'll tell you this, Jeremy. If it comes to March 18th, I know I said I think Tom Brady's coming back. But if, if they allow him to become a free agent, OK, that's a bad sign. <laughs> that's a bad that's sign. A bit,
4: that's we, we can all agree on
0: that. Yeah, because uh, you don't have to wait until the last minute. But if they do wait until the last minute, uh, that would suggest to me something is afoot and it's not good. And another thing, I was talking to a couple of people last night and they threw it out there that they think that Tom Brady is going to, uh, the Patriots will tell him, hey, go out there, we'll let your contract expire go out, see what you find in free agency, and then come back and tell us. Ooh, I would be so uncomfortable with that. I, would, I, I wouldn't want that in football. I wouldn't want that in life. If there's somebody you really want, I, I would just be afraid of them going somewhere and never coming back to you with the offer. So the Patriots have done this before, just for context. The Patriots have done that with players before. I mean, Julian Edelman has, has left the building and has visited other... Franchises. He's been in other buildings. Then he went back to the Patriots and he resigned with the Patriots. And Dante Hightower did the same thing. But Tom Brady—that's a completely different category. And you have somebody like that on the free agent market, even at the age of 42, going to be 43 in August. I think uh, somebody will overwhelm him. And you know, maybe if it comes to that, you know how it is when when you're negotiating and feelings get involved and egos get involved. The right thing to do is not always clear to you because you've been so bruised from the negotiating that sometimes you can you can make decisions that that are more of a response to someone else than, uh, all right, this is the best decision for me. So I can see that if it gets to uh, late March or early April and he's going somewhere, I can see him going somewhere else if, if it comes to that. But I don't, I don't, I. My instincts say, no, he's going to be back with the Patriots.
4: Well, some people in Boston want to rename, I think, like Faneuil Hall and the Prue, basically all the landmarks, the Tom Brady Center, make December twelfth, 12, 12 Tom Brady Day. We will see what it takes and whether Bill Belichick even wants that. Uh, nobody knows more about the situation and the history behind the Belichick-Brady story than Michael Holly. Michael, thank you so much for sharing your insights.
0: Oh, anytime. I I really enjoy
5: it. Uh, We'll talk soon.
4: Thanks for having joined us. I'm Jeremy Schapp and this has been The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio. We're on every Saturday and every Sunday morning at 6 Eastern Time.